40, the big 4-0 of Have a Blessed Gay, your spiritual comedy podcast. The show where we chat about spirituality, deconstruction, religious trauma, politics, social issues, but all in a welcoming, non-intimidating, and dare I even say fun way. I talk with celebrities, faith leaders, and experts of various backgrounds, faiths, and walks of life who are trying to navigate this shit fest that we call life. I am your holy host, Tyler Martin, and it is time to laugh our way to spirituality, baby. And it's June, which means that it is a Pride Month, bitches! Yes, queen! Yes, queen! Yes, queen! June is all about celebrating the LGBTQ plus community. Even through the sweaty orgies, the bottomless mimosas, and the new glittery wardrobes, let us remember that Pride started as a riot, y'all. We are far from equality with much progress still to be made. So, as you are being fisted up the ass this weekend, just remember what pride is about. And, you know, go ahead and take a second fist up there while you're at it. Happy pride, my little baby angel, sent from baby angel heaven. As I mentioned last episode, I will be reading reviews on the podcast now, so please make sure to take a quick minute to leave a lovely review. First step, a review from Texas Lacey, a fellow Texan, shout out. They wrote, great, wonderful, worth listening to. And that's it, short and sweet. You know, sometimes size doesn't matter, y'all. Uh, another review from Freedom Advocate, they wrote, a must listen to. Such a wonderful, uplifting podcast that openly talks about faith and spirituality. Amazing guests and Tyler, OMG, that's me, does a great job at combining important topics with comedy. Love it. Thank you so freaking much, you two, for writing and supporting the podcast and this movement. It truly does mean so much to me, and I really, really appreciate it. If you haven't yet, and you do listen and love the podcast, rating and leaving a review is one of the best ways to support the podcast. It is totally free for you to do. It only takes a couple of minutes, but wildly makes a difference for have a blessed gay. So even if you don't listen on iTunes, you can quickly leave a review on the podcast app if you have an iPhone or write and leave it online. And please feel free to share any personal stories or where you're at with your spiritual journey. And I will give you a shout out on here. Thank you in advance, you sexy thing you. Now y'all, I'm gonna say something pretty big. I'm gonna say it, damn it. Oh, I am. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say it, and you can't stop me. Because this is a recording and not live, so there's literally no way you can stop me. So I'm gonna say it, okay? This is one of my favorite interviews I have had on here. Seriously, I cried during the interview, okay? We both did. I cried while editing the interview, and 
I cried while listening to it, okay? I mean, like, <laughs> and and here's the deal. I don't think I'm any more of a mess than I usually am. So I think it's, like, genuinely just a terrific conversation. <laughs> I am so stoked to share this deeply moving, inspirational discussion with the superb Joe Moon. Joe is a Colombian-born and raised pastor with a master's degree in ministry and theology. Joe is a loud and proud advocate that speaks and teaches about decolonizing church, theology, spirituality, and faith, as well as the importance of dismantling white supremacy, the patriarchy, and capitalism. We cover many topics during our conversation. We get into spiritual bypassing, something I've actually wanted to discuss on here for a long while now, so I was very excited to dissect that. We also talk about her journey leaving the evangelical Christian community and how she became involved in deconstruction. We also talk about religious trauma, how her and her husband have dealt with deconstruction in their relationship, and finding one's inner divinity, ultimately being one's own savior. And being that this is Pride Month, I think it's amazing to showcase a powerhouse bisexual voice like Joe, who will leave you feeling freaking motivated. So y'all, get ready for this amazing conversation. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, the leading provider of online counseling. Y'all, the world is crazy and mental health is important. Some might even call it spiritual. I personally use BetterHelp myself and absolutely love what they're doing. BetterHelp makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. So if you're struggling emotionally, battling anxiety, or you can't stop crying after an episode of Queer Eye, BetterHelp can be there for you anytime, anywhere. Go to my personal link at BetterHelp help.com slash blessed gay to check it out and get what 10% off the best part is you don't even have to leave your house they offer four ways to speak with a licensed counselor video calls phone calls real-time chat and direct messaging all counselors have been qualified and certified by their state's professional board in other words, you're not talking to a lobster dressed in human clothes. They're legit. All you gotta do is go to my link at betterhelp.com slash blessed gay and begin the questionnaire to match you with a therapist who is uniquely qualified to serve your needs. How sexy. It's super duper easy and you're matched within 24 hours or less. BetterHelp has a monthly subscription rather than paying per session, which makes it cheaper. But if finances are still a concern, financial aid is available for those who qualify. Get counseling, improve your life, and help this podcast out in the process by going to betterhelp.com slash gay. Sign up today and get 10% off. That's betterhelp.com slash gay. Joe Lumen, welcome to Apple Plus Gay. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. Joe, listen, I am so freaking pumped right now. I've been following you on social media for a long while now, and you are just such a badass advocate for deconstruction, for healing from religious trauma, just a beacon of hope in the field and it's incredible to finally chat with you and I just want to get into it. 
tell us who you are and what the hell you do. Yeah. So my name is Joe Luman. I was born and raised in Colombia and I moved to the U.S. when I was about 25 to do an internship at a church. And I did the whole thing. You know, I did the internship. I went to seminary. I got all the classes. I went and got my master's degree, became a pastor and the whole time incredibly uncomfortable and fighting with the system, uh, but thinking that I had to fight within it. And, you know, as, as you keep going and as you keep moving forward in this system, um, you see the, the ugliest, you know, the further you're in, the more privilege that you're given in the system, the more power that you're given, you see the ugliest of parts of it. So I got to a point where I was like, I'm never going to change this. This is ridiculous, you know, seeing the homophobia, the sexism, the racism. And so I walked away. And the further I walked away, the more that I saw how... I had been conditioned to believe that a lot of things that are not normal, that a lot of things that are abuse and harmful, uh, I had been conditioned to take them as normal, as this is just the way that things are, and I just have to accept it. And I am a woman, so it's just, you know, tough luck. Like, I can't preach, sorry. Mm -hmm. Things like that. And I didn't get to, like, even explore my sexuality. I didn't get to, I was assumed heterosexual and I played the part of heterosexual really well because I wasn't going to get kicked out of the system. And so leaving gave me all of this room and freedom to be able to explore who I am uh, outside of the, you know, the very narrow narrative that I had been given. So I, that's what I did. And then I decided to do it more publicly because I knew that there were more people that were experiencing the same thing and that we were not all of us absolutely going crazy. And I don't say that hyperbolically. I mean that like you feel like you're going crazy when you're walking out of these spaces that have told you for so long that you're supposed to fit in and you walk out and you realize everything they told me is a lie. And so you start feeling like you are absolutely crazy. And so I wanted to find more people and I wanted to share with more people all the things that I was learning about myself, about the indoctrination and the societal conditioning that we are all subjected to that affects our ability to actually be healthy whole human beings. So that's what I do. I speak about all of that. What denomination were you a part of? Oh, it was a non-denominational church, but they came out of an um, Assemblies of God church. Okay. And then the church in Colombia, that was also this, it, this one was an actually ginormous church. Like right now, I think they have a hundred thousand people oh. uh, in attendance, which is just in Bogota. There are other cities where they have more people, but they came out of the same, like non-denominational and they had some ties to Southern Baptist and Christ of the Nations. And they were, they came from Australia. So they started the church coming from Australia. Got it, got it, got it. So, yeah. Oh, how fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so much fun. It was, it was an excellent experience. I did not get awfully traumatized and I'm still dealing with like the mess of that at all. No, not at all. Trauma? Who's that? <laughs> Well, Joe, you and I are both attributing authors for the book, The Deconstructionist Playbook, which is wonderful, a book that examines religious deconstruction. And I'm curious, you were deep in the evangelical environment, enduring so much for so long. Was there a specific incident or was there like a moment that propelled you to leave and eventually become involved in deconstruction? Because, you know, it can be such a, a never ending cycle for people where they are just in fight or flight mode yeah. and basically just concerned about survival and not able to do anything else or move on. Right. Right. Yeah. You never get to I, I talk about how you never get to be um, healing 
until you feel safe. And inside the evangelical church, you're never safe. So you never get to heal. You're mm -hmm. always all the time trying to defend your existence, really. Uh, and yeah, there, there were a lot of different moments that, you know, continue to pile up and add to one another. Um, but it all kind of boiled down to this um, moment in which the lead pastor of the church that I was working at changed my um, changed my job description without my knowledge. So he was talking to other people. They were giving my job to other people, my job and my husband's job to other people. Um, and they were telling us and he hadn't talked to us. So I talked to him. I was like, don't do that. Like, don't make decisions about my life for me. Mm -hmm. um, making the mm -hmm. assumption that I'm going to accept this new role. And he's like, but I know you're going to accept it. You're, you're going to love this new role. And I was like, mm, okay, I, I highly doubt that, but okay. And so he gave us new job descriptions for Caleb and I, and we both read them. And absolutely, I, I couldn't have hated a job description more. <laughs> like if something was absolutely against everything that Joe is, that job description was it. Uh, and he was talking about how I was going to be the creative pastor and I was going to do marketing and graphics and make the church cooler. Like I could not care less about making you cooler. And I have a master's degree in theology and my passion is teaching people. I love teaching people. And you're going to put me behind a computer to create graphics just because I have the ability to. And so I, I was like, you don't know me and you're just using me. And the reason they were pulling me out is because I was teaching classes. So I had written curriculum and I was teaching classes that were kind of challenging a lot of the status quo. Uh -huh. um, so they were like, we don't have the money to do that. Not but three months after I left, they revamped with new teachers that were teaching just evangelical theology. Um, so it were was they not, a male? Uh, yes, they were. Oh, yeah, he was a, a white old man. Yeah, no, well, there no you go. More a brown immigrant woman teaching about this liberation theology. Um, so, so yeah, I was like, you know, I'm never going to be able to be free here. I'm always going to be edited, censored. I'm always going to be demanded to fit into these boxes. Uh, and I just don't fit. I don't. I even in like all the things that are expected of women, this femininity, I'm none of that. Like I like makeup, but that's not femininity, right? Uh, yeah. I don't, I am very vocal. I don't believe in submission. Like Jezebel is probably my favorite character. Like this is not, this is not who I am. And they continue to make me want to fit into these boxes. And I just didn't. Um, and I realized I'm never, go I'm going to continue to have to betray myself in these spaces. And I, I deserve to expand and I deserve to be in a spaces where I am not tolerated, but celebrated. So I left looking for those spaces. And I realized those spaces come from within me first. Ah, uh, shit, Joe. I'm over here like rearranging my questions because you just kept throwing down inspirational bombs. There were just so many <laughs> good things. Oh my gosh. Uh, aspects of deconstruction are, you know, examining our faith, our practices, what we're involved in. And something I've, I've seen you talk about online, which I don't think anyone talks about enough or at all for that matter is spiritual bypassing, yeah. specifically in reference to Christianity. Would you break that down for us? What is spiritual bypassing? Yeah. So spiritual bypassing is this tendency to bypass, really, to sidestep, to avoid facing your trauma, your unresolved trauma, the things that are going on inside of you, the the 
um, harmful, maladaptive coping mechanisms, uh, even the good coping mechanisms that you are dealing with, um, in order to just feel like I'm doing all of these spiritual things or I'm saying all of these spiritual things. Therefore, I do not have to deal with all those psychological wounds and the trauma that I have in my life, the underlying root causes of the way in which I behave in the world. So spiritual bypassing is really common amongst Christians um, because it's, you know, they just pray, just pray about it. God is in control. Uh, it's going to be okay. If you're a Christian, then God is good. Uh, all of that is a spiritual bypassing. Um, the, the way that I behave this way is because, you know, like God is doing this work in me, using a lot of like um, shallow, really shallow platitudes to bypass the real marginalization abuse and harm that they are causing and also that is being caused to them weaponizing of forgiveness just forgiveness as just forgive they said they were sorry and move on because jesus forgave so you have to forgive no i don't have to do anything i'm not jesus well so, i mean jesus uh, <laughs> wasn't even jesus probably <laughs> absolutely yeah we can get into that but we it will be very uncomfortable for a lot of people. Um, so yeah, spiritual bypassing is exactly that. Using spiritual ideas and practices, which happens outside of Christianity too, by the way. You know, mm -hmm. it happens outside of Christianity. It's very common in the new age um, kind of spiritual, like modern spiritual white spaces, uh, you know, like using of yoga and things like that, which is a lot of co-opting and appropriating to bypass true healing to say mm -hmm. like, nope, I have good thoughts, positivity, like toxic positivity, just focus on the good thoughts. Well, good thoughts are not going to, are not going to change societal marginalization and systemic issues. So it's that it's, it's using ideas that are spiritual and that might just be helpful. And that's the problem. You know, they might just be helpful in your journey toward healing, but they cannot be a replacement for the journey of actually doing the work of healing. I love that definition. You know, being raised in a family of ministers, I have seen my fair share of spiritual bypassing. And something that kept replaying in my head as you were speaking was being told that being gay was God testing me. Right. That it was something that God was doing for me so I could prove my love and, I mean, really ultimately my worthiness to him. Right. And you know, that completely stripped away my identity, my emotions, what trauma I was actually experiencing and going through right then. The idea that it was nothing but just a make-believe thing that God was doing for fun to right. test me. It's just, it's, it's really mind-blowing to think back on that. And even more mind-blowing and sad that at the time I questioned it. I actually questioned it. Right. But I would love to hear from you, and this is a very personal question, so feel free to say hell no, but what are some examples of spiritual bypassing that you have experienced? Yeah, the the forgiveness thing is really common, you know, like the, the problem with you, Joe, the problem, the reason why you critique the church so much is because you have a bitterness problem, is because you have a root of bitterness and you haven't forgiven. Nope. That's not the issue at all. The issue is systemic. And I could forgive everyone. And I actually have. Um, and the reason I have is not because they 
ask for forgiveness. The reason I have is not because they did anything that is the right thing to do when you harm someone. It's because I learned enough about neuroscience and I learned enough about trauma that I can see the trauma that led them to make the decisions that they made. And so I don't excuse them. I will never excuse them. I will continue to hold them accountable, but I've forgiven them because I see the human underneath trying to also survive and using a lot of abusive techniques to survive. So I forgive you. That doesn't mean that the systemic abuse that we have inside of the church doesn't exist at all. So that one's super common. Um, a lot of the ideas of... Um, like everything would be fine if everybody were a Christian. If everybody just became a Christian, the world would be better, Joe. The problem is sin. The problem is not systemic oppression. The problem is not that we have a heteronormative, uh, white supremacist, super patriarchal, horrific, like system in place. The problem is sin. Sin is the problem. Well, first, what the hell are we supposed to do with this very vague notion of sin? What the hell are we supposed to do with that to make the lives of people who don't have enough to eat better? Um, so that kind of spiritual bypassing, you know, I talk so much about marginalization and about systems of oppression. And they often tell me like, you're not gonna fix it by talking about it. You're just gonna fix it if we make people Christian. I mean, listen, proof of that is the Roman empire. Mm -hmm. Like it, the Roman empire moved through the world, making everyone Christian by force. And all they created was abuse and trauma and worse marginalization for people. The world wasn't better. It was way worse, way worse. I mean, talk to any indigenous person of what we call America mm -hmm. now. And let's see if in, like Christianity make the world better for us. It didn't. Uh, I'll just yeah. answer. No. <laughs> uh, uh, and, you know, so that like all of those ideas that you don't get to deal with the root, you don't get to talk about things. You um, all you have to do is just be more Christian is just read more is just pray more. None of that is going to change anything. Like, have you um, Francis Chan yesterday or the day before yesterday? There was an article that came out that said that Francis Chan had a solution for ex-evangelicals. We just needed an encounter with God. Okay. Francis, bro, come on now. Like, do you think that we, first, the fact that they think that they own divinity and that their experiences of God are the unique experiences of divinity. Most of us left because we actually, not most of us, but a lot of us left because we actually had an encounter with divinity with the divinity in queer people, with the divinity in our own queerness, with the divinity of women and people of color. We, we saw the divinity in them. We had a, um, an encounter with the fact that we are all divine. And when we saw this divinity that expanded beyond, then we were like, yeah, we're leaving. Mm -hmm. Like, bye. I don't mm -hmm. want this small God. But spiritual bypassing is saying all of these abuses that you experienced, all of the very serious problems inside of the evangelical church, they can just be solved if only you had an experience with my God. No, they will not. They will not, Francis. They will not. How is it beneficial for religions to use this as a tactic? Like, what do they get out of it? I mean, all religions do have the ability to do this, right? Spirituality mm -hmm. can be used for all of these. And they get to. If you don't want to heal, don't heal. If you want to use Christianity or any other spiritual, um, you know, adjacency, any other spiritual framework to bypass healing, you can. If that's going to be your coping mechanism, break a leg, you know? <laughs> um, coping mechanisms are not necessarily terrible if you are aware that they are a coping mechanism. The problem is when we call a coping mechanism healing, and that is what happens a lot with the spiritual spaces. This is not a coping mechanism. This is actually how you heal. By asking Jesus to forgive you for your sins, you're healed. 
No, I am not. My issues are still there. My unresolved anger is still there. My, my traumatized self is still there. My abandonment issues are still there. And saying Jesus as many times as you want me to is not going to change that. I have to actually address it. So I think that the problem is that. The problem is that we confuse this spirituality for a solution, when in reality, it's just a tool. Um, spirituality, any kind of it, can be either a tool of oppression, no, I'm sorry, a weapon of oppression mm -hmm. or a tool for liberation, but it's not the liberation. Mm -hmm. The liberation requires work. It requires intentional, awakened, aware work of becoming conscious of, you know, addressing our implicit biases, addressing um, our trauma, being able to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, yeah, I do have a lot of insecurities and I can actually name them for you uh, because they don't define me. I, I, I exist and I am good and I am worthy and I am valuable in spite of all of these insecurities that were given to me by societal conditioning. But if we cannot do any of that and we use the spirituality to say, I'm a child of God and all is well, we are pretending like a spirituality is the solution when in, re in reality, it's, it can just be a tool or a maladaptive coping mechanism that harms you more and others. And others, yeah. You know, many times people have a difficult time identifying spiritual bypassing until after the fact. They're, they're in their community, they're running off of, of fear. And honestly, sometimes we're in there saying those awesome prayers we're waving our hands in the air belting off key to a worship song and we feel good damn it right and it might feel that that spiritual bypassing worked in that moment yeah but then a week passes a day passes even an hour and that trauma somehow creeps back up that gut feeling comes back and we feel like a complete failure. Like, did I not pray hard enough? Like, did the lines get crossed and I wasn't actually communicating with Jesus? You did all the things, right? You did all the things. Yeah, what am I doing wrong? Or am I just, am I just not good enough? That's what I kept asking. I remember, I mean, Tyler, I did all the things. I prayed. I, I I read the Bible several times in different orders. I read it in the order that they told me. I read it in chronological order. I read it in the order that they were written. I read it over and over. Then I read it in the original languages. Then I read it in Spanish and English. I kept on reading and I kept on praying and I kept on begging and I kept on staying up and journaling. And I remember one day I was in the, we have a playroom where my kids make messes and I'm usually <laughs> cleaning it up at the end of the night. And I was cleaning the playroom, putting all these toys away, feeling just miserable, you know, feeling just miserable inside, having done all the things and still having been lied about, abused, kicked out of the church. I wasn't kicked out. I left, but then I was kicked out. Um, feeling like I don't belong anywhere, feeling alone in this country, away from all of my family. I came here for, for church, for Christianity, and Christianity was turning its back on me because I don't agree with it anymore. So feeling like, okay, I'm all alone. And I was kneeling there, picking up these toys. And I remember saying out loud, am I just not good enough to be listened to? Am I just not worthy of, of having my prayers answered? Am I just not good enough? Am I just not... Are you just going to ignore me forever? Um, and it makes me emotional because I meant it. 
I meant it. I had prayed. I had begged. I had done all the things they told me to do inside of the church. And all I got back was silence by God. And then the disdain of Christians. And, and I, I, I remember hearing someone say, if you keep waiting for someone to save you, you are still immature and it's never going to happen. It's on you. You're going to have to save yourself. And, um, and now I know that was the divinity in me, right? The divinity in me had been leading me, but I had been squashing it and ignoring it for the voice of these men that had told me that they were divinity, that they had divinity. But the divinity in me had been telling me mm -hmm. all this time to leave, had been telling me all this time that I knew that my intuition was right, that I know. And this divinity in me told me, you keep looking for your savior out there, but it is within you. You will save yourself. And that was it for me. I... You know, I was like, no, I'm going to do the work. I'm, I'm done praying. I'm done going to churches. I'm done reading all the books about spirituality and how to have a better relationship with Jesus. I'm done going to the conferences and, you know, consuming all this content. I want to learn about healing and trauma. I want to learn about neuroscience. I want to learn about my own experiences, my own trauma. Uh, what is, who am I? I didn't know who I was because I hadn't been allowed to know who I was. And, and that is the moment I said no more to this shallow spirituality that is just causing me to bypass my own work of healing. I am going to do the work. And if it leads me away from God, the Christian God, then it does. And if it leads me away from all of the people that I know, then it does. And if it leads me away from anything, but it leads me back to myself, it was well worth it. Damn, I love that so much. Ultimately, the divine God, universe, whatever word people want to use, it's in us. I could not agree more. But I will say, listening to ourselves, the divine in us, that is much easier said than done. Mm -hmm. And leaving a toxic community, that's hard. Yeah, right. I've heard your story, and I know it was traumatic, and it is for so many of us, it really because that becomes your identity. It is your whole life. Right. So who are you even outside of it? When we leave, we have to actually meet ourselves and figure out who the hell we are. So for people wanting to leave, or even for those who have already left, what are some actual tangible steps that people can take to get to know their own divine self? Yeah. Listen, if you want to leave, leave. Um, but if you don't feel safe leaving, stay. It's okay. It's okay mm. to stay if it's safer for you to stay right now. And I, I'm talking about a lot of people whose parents pay for everything still. You trying to stay safe is good. Don't judge yourself for that. It's understandable. Nobody's going to judge you for that out here either. Once you're able to leave, you're going to leave when you can leave. And in the meantime, uh, if you have to stay because it's the safest thing for you. And we never talk about that. You know, we never talk about the people that have to stay because it's safer for them. If you have to stay because it's safer for you. Nowadays, you have the ability to listen to a lot of podcasts and to listen to a lot of voices on social media, to follow different people that are going to help you keep yourself sane as you have to still maneuver the fact that you are inside of a toxic space where you're probably being abused. So that's one. Um, now, if you are, if you are leaving, honestly, expect, expect that you're going to be harmed, expect that they are going to lie about you expect. And if it doesn't happen, awesome, like awesome. I will clap and cheer with you. 
But if you expect it, then it's a little bit easier. You know, I was absolutely, I sat in front of a pastor, a friend of mine, and I was telling him my whole story about what, what had happened. And he looked at me and said, this is not going to end well. They are going to lie about you. They are going to destroy your career. It's going to be really bad. And I said, they would never do that. They love me. I love them. They would never do that. Six months later, that's exactly what they had done. Because I thought that we loved each other, but I loved them. They loved using me. Mm. And when they couldn't use me anymore, they didn't care about me, the individual. And so while that might not be your story, it's very possible that it could be. And so expect that you are going to be maligned, expect that it's going to be painful uh, and lies are going to be told about you. You're going to be get really, really comfortable with being misrepresented and being misunderstood. People misunderstanding you and misrepresenting you doesn't mean that you're wrong. It means that they don't get it, but we get it. You know, there are a lot of people out here that do get it. And we are misrepresented and misunderstood every day. And we continue to stand in our truth and we continue to stand with each other and continue to move toward liberation and toward wholeness and toward healing. And we leave away spiritual bypassing because it's not going to save you spiritual bypassing. It's going to keep you in cycles of abuse and harm and trauma that you are then going to become the oppressor in. Um, so yeah, expect a lot of harm, expect misrepresenting, expect misunderstanding, and know that you can trust your intuition. You can, you really can trust your intuition. I'm so thankful you made the point about safety. We chatted a little bit about that in the last episode, and it's something that I personally really struggled with. When, when I came out to my parents as a teenager, I stayed in for them. So initially when i did leave and i did come out publicly i was really embarrassed and i was only 18 when i came out but still i was super embarrassed by that there were so many people who flooded me with condescending remarks like oh we've been waiting for you to come out or oh i'm so happy you finally found out who you are and I was like, bitch, I've known who I was since I was four. My first kiss was with a boy. I've secretly dated many guys. Like, I didn't right. feel safe. You weren't safe. Yes. And so, first of all, people on the outside uh, take a fucking step back and realize you don't know what someone is going through. Yeah. And it may not be an identity issue, but a safety issue. And second, we need to give ourselves some grace, compassion, and understanding. No, I did not come out even though I knew. Yeah. But when I felt safe enough to, I did. And that is good enough. Yeah. And you know what? Meeting ourselves with compassion. I also, I judged myself a lot because I should have left sooner. I said to myself, no, I left when I could. I yeah. left when I felt safe. My entire identity, my finances, everything was tied to this church. Um, and, and to this day, I haven't officially, I'm bisexual, but I haven't come out as bisexual because I don't feel safe, not no. with people. Like I can tell you and I can tell anybody, but there are some family members that I don't feel safe. So I'm not super vocal about it because I'm still heterosexual passing because I'm in a heterosexual marriage that most of these people know, yeah. like they don't know it's an open marriage. So they think it's fine. She's still fine because she's still in this heterosexual marriage. I'm like, well, uh, <laughs> but I don't, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I don't owe them my story. 
I don't owe them. And I am not being deceitful by not telling them my story because they are not safe to hold it. Mm. So they don't get it. They don't get my story. Um, so it is not a, a lack of character on my part. It's uh, I respect myself and love myself enough to protect my story and also to understand when I am not safe. Um, so the people that I'm safe with, I share my story with. The people that I'm not safe with, they don't get my story. And it is their loss and not my deception. It's not deception. 100% agree. I would love to ask you about your husband, actually. That's a, a big source of trauma for people, not only feeling unsafe outside, but inside your house, even with your partner. Absolutely. Feeling 100% isolated with literally no outlet. I know you've had your ups and downs together, but what has that been like going through this with someone? You know what? We are still going through the experience um, because there are things like as you are dismantling all of these things, more things come up. Uh, but we separated for 16 months. We, I, He got home one day and I am a it's not easy to live with a person like me because I am an all in kind of person, you know? So when, once something is clear in my brain, I'm like, okay, let's do it. Like it's done. Let's go. Oh my gosh. And so, too. yeah, it's like <laughs> I got it. Like it clicked in my head and I'm like, let's do it. But I don't sometimes give enough room for people to, for them to click to. Oh um, my God. I feel so seen right now. <laughs> <laughs> so my husband gets home one day and I go, listen, this is not working. Um, you are not like I am gone. The evangelical church is gone for me and you continue to hold on to, to it. So he had one foot in and one foot out and there were all of these other things going on. Right. And I said, so we, we're going to separate. So I'm going to move to a shelter. And he's like, mm? say what? And I'm, like, I'm moving to a shelter because I don't have anywhere else to go. Like I live in this country where I don't know anybody. I'm going to just move to a shelter. And I was totally willing. Like that was I wasn't joking. I wasn't trying to manipulate him. I wasn't, I, I meant it. I was moving to a shelter to give us a space. Uh, and he was like, no, you're not moving to a shelter. I'll, I'll go. So he moved out and we were separated for 16 months. We would meet once a week to talk and see where we were. He was going to therapy. I was doing my own healing and um, in, in like different peer support groups that are more indigenous oriented. And we were just meeting and having conversations and we got back together ended up pregnant without winning meaning to after that so that's why I have a little baby um and then you know we are still doing that so when I said I wanted to have an open marriage it was also a response to my trauma I said I never got to know what it was to be in a relationship with a woman and I don't see why I don't get to it's not fair that I don't get to it's not fair that I don't get to flirt with men and women alike without feeling guilt or shame just because I got married. It's not fair that I don't get to experience dates without thinking about marriage. <laughs> like I was mm -hmm. demanded to inside of the evangelical church. Like it's not fair that because I married you before I left the church, I don't get to experience a lot of things that I think I am missing out on and are part of my identity. Like I like flirting. I like people. I like attention. I like giving attention and I like women. And so I get to experience all of that. So I want to open my marriage. And he was like, okay, um, but it took him a minute, you know, like it took him a minute. He, all of these patriarchal ideologies that have been given and he, he, they were inside of him and he didn't know he had deconstructed patriarchy in his head, but he now had to embody deconstructing the fact that he doesn't own me 
and he can't stop me and he can have me still as a partner if he lets me be free too. And so we had to continue to deconstruct. So, but I'm talking about the last six months of our life, like seven, eight, yeah, where we're having these conversations of, you know, like a new level of me embodying my own liberation. And that's, that's what I, that's what it is. I am embodying my own liberation and my liberation affects my relationships. So we have to have these conversations of, Hey, I discovered that I want to do all of these things. And I want to embody this other aspect of my liberation. I want to become uh, the person that I really am. Like I want to step into these spaces where I had not been allowed to be, and what does that mean for you? And are you okay with that? And how are we going to do that if you're not okay with that? And um, you don't get to stop my liberation, but also I don't get to harm you as I get liberated myself. Because mm. this could this was harmful for him in some, you know, like his identity was so tied to being a good husband and to having the perfect family. That is like the perfect family usually doesn't include a third person <laughs> like mm -hmm. uh, like totally that's the narrative that we were given but why not why not you know why not why don't we get to just have these different conversations so we've had a lot of conversations and i'm moving a lot slower now um because he needs me to move slower now and kind of respecting one another having a lot of where are you where am i and our goal in this relationship is not to stay married uh our goal is to move towards health and if that movement towards health and wholeness and healing moves us closer in a relationship, like if we stay married, excellent. But if we don't, excellent. Because at the end of the day, we're both healthier, right? So we shifted the, what is the goal of this relationship? What does success look like? Success, success looks like we were healthier today than we were yesterday. We are healthier today than we are yesterday. And what that means for this relationship continues to shift and change. Oh my gosh, the goal is not to stay married. It's like, really come on, Joe, that is so good. One, one of the first topics that surfaces surrounding open relationships is, of course, jealousy. If you love someone else or like someone else, then you don't love me. I'm not enough. I'm not enough, yes. And it's really fascinating because in one way I completely understand I can be hella jealous. But then on the flip side of that, if both parties in the relationship aren't able to explore, to live their truth, then that's a pretty shitty relationship. Right. And honestly, I, I do have a problem with telling me that, you know, am I not enough? No, you're not. You're not. You're not. You're not enough. Yeah. You yeah. are not the place where I get my validation. You are not the place where I get my wholeness and healing. You are a partner in that process. And some of your tools and some of your experiences and some of your support is so good for me, but it's not enough. And that doesn't mean I'm going to have a partner. It doesn't mean you have to have an open relationship, but it means you need a therapist. It means you need peer support. It means you need friends. It means, and for some of us, it means we need other relationships. So no, you're not enough. But this desire to be enough for another is part of our insecurities too. Yes. I want to be everything to you. Well, then deal with your insecurities. That is not my problem. That is yours. 
uh, jealousy is the same thing. I, I think jealousy is not an indictment of character. I've talked about jealousy before because I was told so much, like if you're jealous, just write a gratefulness, going back to spiritual bypassing, <laughs> write, write a gratefulness journal, have a journal where you write all the things that you're grateful for. And then, you know, jealousy is gone. No bullshit. Jealousy is jealousy stems from insecurities. Jealousy stems from not feeling like a lack, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's childhood trauma where there was lack, where there was, yeah, where you don't feel good enough. So what I need to address is the underlying reality that I have convinced myself of and say, that's not true. I am good enough. I don't need to be like this other person. So jealousy is not, it's normal. I get that you're feeling it. But what we need to address is I don't need to appease your jealousy. You need to address where that jealousy is coming from. If you think that you the jealousy comes from you own me, you need to address the fact that I you don't. You absolutely don't. So with jealousy, it has to be flipped, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't have to appease your jealousy. And appeasing any type of any type of emotion for another person is is a type of a spiritual bypassing. Yes. Right? Like if 100%. you're angry, though I behave in a way that you will never be angry with me. No, you're angry. We're going to address it and you're going to figure out where the hell is that anger coming from? Like what's happening, right? It's fine. It's fine that you feel angry. Let's talk about it. Uh, it's fine that you feel jealous. Let's talk about it. So we have to start talking about the underlying issues because at the end of the day, we're all individuals that get to make individual decisions and being married or being in a relationship does not mean that I lose my agency. It doesn't. I continue mm -hmm. to have full agency. I continue to be a full individual that continues to have the ability to make decisions. That doesn't mean I can harm you. And that's why we have conversations. Like I can be non-harmful, but it is harmful to demand that I appease your feelings. You need to deal with those. Yeah. And I find it so interesting that we put romantic relationships in such a different category than friendships or or even career. You know, people have 60 plus hour work weeks. They run errands. They hang out with friends, maybe actually see each other for like an hour, if that. And that's understandable. Right. But if the same amount of time is taken away from the relationship, but there is a romance involved, then it's like suddenly completely intolerable. Or even like as, as small as a romantic interest, like if I'm attracted to someone, it's like, how dare you be attracted? Am I dead? Like, have you seen them? Uh, <laughs> you know, like attraction, normalizing the fact that we get to be attracted to others. And this is all about control. We are obsessed with controlling the things that we have. We are obsessed with hoarding, not just possessions and not just all of these other things. We also want to hoard people because we get to appease our insecurities, but we don't own anybody. We get to let everybody be free and we get to have relationships and feel attraction. And I love, um, I learned this from Sonia Renee Taylor. Was it Sonia Renee Taylor? Maybe, <laughs> um, but she talked about the difference between attraction and uh, interest. Mm -hmm. She said, all of us are attracted all the time and we need to normalize that we feel attraction for different people. And that doesn't mean that I don't like you or that I stopped liking you or that you're not good enough. None of that. It just means that I am a human being that sees another person and feels attracted to them. Uh, interest, though, is I want to do something about that attraction. Mm -hmm. 
it's not just attraction. I actually am interested in this person. I want to pursue a relationship with that person. And there you have to have a conversation with your partner. You know, it's, it's important, but you don't have to have a conversation every time you feel attraction. It'd be every day, what, all like, the time, <laughs> all the time, all the time. Like I just saw a TikTok video, damn it. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, we get to have attraction. We get to normalize attraction. And we talk about how healthy relationships are these relationships that they just have everything for one another. They are everything. And what you're describing there is enmeshment and enmeshment is unhealthy. It's unhealthy. It is not healthy to find all of your fulfillment and everything that you need in one person. First, it's a lie. You're lying. Mm -hmm. And second, you are, you have created a codependent enmeshed relationship where you're finding all of your worth and all of your uh, value in this one relationship, in this one identity, when you are so much more than that, and you can have uh, more identities than that, and you can recognize that you are not my entire world. And if you die tomorrow, I hope you don't, I will be fine. I will be fine. I will be sad. I will grieve. I will miss you. But also, I will be fine. Because you and I are two separate individuals. And it's fine. None of that sounds very romantic. Well, no, but what is romance? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, and to me, it is very romantic that the person I am most in love with is me. Yes. It is. It's so romantic and beautiful. And I think I am, I, the person I am most in love, the person I'm most obsessed with, uh, the only person I'm really obsessed with is me. I'm absolutely obsessed with me. And all of the other relationships in my life get to have a person that is healthy and it's not going to use them to bypass her feelings of insecurities or, you know, her trauma. I'm not going to use you because I get my worth from within me. I don't need you to do that. Now, do I want to your support? Do I want you to be around me? Do I want us to build a relationship together so we can support one another? Yeah, I would love that. I can't move forward without community, but I will not use you as uh, I will not objectify you as something that I'm using. You get to be an individual that shares tools with me, that shares your presence, that shares your support. And I get to see your full humanity. And I will demand that you see my full humanity too. How powerful to say that you love yourself like you did. It like legit gave me goosebumps and brought a tear to my eye because like, I don't think, I, I don't think I've ever outwardly said that out loud in earnest yeah. and what if we all did that and believed it like how incredible i do this thing where it's silly it's it's silly and i'll deny it if people <laughs> tell me that i do it because it's silly, and i feel silly doing it but i don't but i love it too but i look at myself in the mirror and i ask myself like what are parts of you that you're not loving today mm. And where is that coming from? Like, what's going on? And so I journal the answers, but I look at myself. I literally look at myself in the mirror and I say, what are parts of you that you're not loving today? And why? Where is that coming from? And I journal that because there are parts of me that I'm not loving some days, you know, like this morning I had to answer that. Like there, there is like these insecurities that have been coming up lately because I'm taking new birth control and this new birth control is making my body look different and my brain feel different. And so I feel all insecure about the way that I'm looking and behaving. And, and I'm like, I'm not loving that. And I feel insecure about all of that. And, and I, in realizing that this also comes from narratives of my upbringing where mm -hmm. a certain body type um, was what I was only allowed to be. And so being like, there is a still a lot of, you know, all of that is still in me and that's okay. I get to see myself in that and be like, okay, I, I am still a little bit insecure about my body and I want it to look a certain way and I have to continue to dismantle all of that, but I don't have to lie to myself and be like, I love my body. I love my body. 
I am a body positivity queen. No, I'm not. I love my body some days. And there are days like today where I don't love my body. And that's okay. I get to, you know, be like, huh, there is still some of that inside of me and meet myself with compassion and kindness and love because there is no expectation of perfection here. There is just an expectation that I'll continue to meet myself and say, how are we doing today, Joe? We good? Nope, we're not good. Okay, what are we going to do about the not good? Are we going to just drink a lot of coffee or maybe get high? (laughs) (laughs) Or both. (laughs) Or both, because that's what we need to do today. (laughs) Yes, that's what we need to do today. And tomorrow we're going to address this. Okay, cool. Let's do that. Um, So we get to meet ourselves and we do that for others. You know, we're so quick to do it for others sometimes, but not quick enough to do it for ourselves because we've been conditioned to believe that we are not worth that. We are. Yeah, I mean, it is essentially a relationship with oneself. Yeah, right. And that's where a lot of narratives that are in the Bible continue to be, you know, brought to my kind of consciousness. If loving one another has to stem from loving oneself, because it's love one another as as you love yourself, then I propose that, and I know that, you cannot love others until you love yourself. You will only use them. You will only, you know, um, 100%. yeah, they will be just things that you're using. They will be things in your shelf so that you don't have to deal with the lack of love you have for yourself. The only way to truly love another is to first love self so that I know that I see you. I completely see you. I'm not using you. I don't need you. Um, I see you. I just want you. I want you. I want you around me, but I don't need you doing all the incredible work you do in deconstruction. Do you think people can change Christianity as an organization from the inside or is it too far gone? Mm, the organization, the the brand, it is, that's what it is. It's a brand. No, it's a system of oppression. It's a, it's a weapon of, a, of systems of oppression. That's all it is. Now, the spiritual realities underneath it the the liberation that you can find with the spirituality that is tied to Christianity, yeah, there is so much beauty in that. But you don't even have to call it Christianity because it doesn't matter to be called that way. You know, it's not so tied to, we have to be the Christians. It's not so tied to this very shallow identity that is a Christian, but instead is tied to the idea of what does it look like to be the Christ? Because that's what it is, right? To be the Christ, Mm -hmm. to unearth the divine in you, to unearth the one that you were created to be and to embody that person and walk it out in the world, in your life. Uh, And I'm talking about Christian principles that... I don't care if they are called Christianity or not. You know, if you want to call it different names, call it different names. Uh, all of those narratives, all of the spirituality, the beauty of the spirituality that is inside of Christianity that has been co-opted and appropriated by systems of oppression to cause harm continues to be there underneath the surface, right? And we see that from different marginalized identities who have found in Christian narratives wholeness and healing and liberation, including myself. Um, it was thinking of the Christ. It was understanding that the Christ is me. It's within me. And I'm just unearthing it from all of this oppression that made me believe that I'm not good enough, that made me believe that I have to fit into certain boxes, that made me believe that I have to behave a certain way. But unearthing all of that and awakening the true me was the, the, the work of becoming the Christ, is the work of becoming the Christ. All of that is beautiful. And I talk about how the journey um, to divinity is the journey of being able to say, I am. No caveats, no explanations, no but, no, just I am. 
being, you know, I get to exist. I am, I am, I am. That is the journey to divinity, getting to the place of being, just absolutely being. Um, and that's all, you know, Christian narratives, right? Because God is the I am. So divinity is the I am, but yeah. it's not a being out there. It's within us, all of us. The earth is because the earth is divinity. The universe is because the universe is divinity. And so, yeah, that all of that um, has a definite place in the future. And it concerns me when a lot of people that have left Christianity demonize all that is Christianity and ignore the fact that a lot of marginalized identities have found in a lot of Christian narratives, a lot of healing and wholeness and goodness. Um, and I've been told like, you're just, you're just as harmful. Like so long as you hold on to any Christianity, you're harmful. Like, no, it's not true. And you know, if that were the case, what are we going to do with all the indigenous people that were shoved Christianity and used Christianity to actually pull themselves out and be like, you lied to me about this thing and I'm out. Or all of the black people that were enslaved by others. And then it was in reading the narratives of the enslaved Israelites that they said, we don't have to be enslaved. We are free and we move toward freedom. Mm -hmm. So we don't we don't get to negate all of those things. But as a but as a system, as a as a brand, it needs to burn. What an incredible answer. Honestly, I feel like this whole conversation has just been me like fighting a breakdown <laughs> because so many of your points just hit me on such a deep level. And I am so thankful for you and this time to chat with you. I know people will be wanting to find out. So tell them where can they find you and keep up with your incredible, inspiring work. Yeah, well, I'm all over social media. I try to make my work accessible, so I make it all free. Um, so yeah, you can just find me on all social media and I'll, I, I just talk about all the things and I make you uncomfortable and that's okay. And you get to disagree with me and we get to chat about it. Um, so yeah, social media is probably the best. I have the same handle everywhere and that's where we can kind of keep on talking. At Joe Lumen on all the platforms, you can find Joe's link in the show notes. So check them out. Joe, Thank you so freaking much for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Y'all, I could literally have a complete separate podcast dissecting this episode. It was just filled with too many good nuggets. But these are my main takeaways. Number one, you don't have to fight from within. Actually, you really can't. Systems of oppression cannot be changed from the inside. We gotta let them burn and fan the damn flames. Number two, spiritual bypassing is a toxic form of coping used to control people and has nothing to do with healing. In fact, it only harms and perpetuates trauma. Number three, you cannot heal until you feel safe. Number four, we all deserve to feel safe. And until we do, we gotta give ourselves compassion. And to those looking from the outside, don't think you know everything, cause you don't. Something especially important to remember as we do celebrate pride. Number five, you owe no one your story. Number six, 
Our goal is to not stay married, but to move toward health. I love that so much. Maybe this is a good time to take a look at your relationships, romantic or not, and to examine what the goal is. If it's not to uplift and affirm, if it's not with health in mind, then all parties in that relationship deserve better. The goal should not be to sustain something unhealthy. Number seven, you might keep looking for your savior out there, but it is within you. You will save yourself. Ugh, I hope you're feeling as good and fired up as I am right now. Please find Joe's info in the show notes and give her a follow. I hope today, tomorrow, or in the near future, you are able to proudly and earnestly say with conviction that you love yourself. I really do. But if you are in a place where you need help, know I always post helplines in the show notes. And as always, feel free to reach out to me. I adore hearing from y'all. Let me know where you're at on your journey. Send me a funny story. Tell me what you'd love to hear on here, whatever. And also, you can put that in a review as well. <laughs> Please do leave that review. Go ahead and rate and make sure to follow on social media at Have a Blessed Gay on all the platforms. Now, as you are getting ready to profess your love for yourself, please hear these words. You are special. You are purposeful. And you are fucking beautiful. You are. Now have a blessed day, y'all.